This is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to Let me explain to you what we do here at the Song Confessional. We used to travel around the country in a little blue trailer, and we would record people telling us stories anonymously and give our favorite stories to songwriters and bands, but now we don't travel around the country because you people need to wear masks and we need better leaders. So now what we do is we take confessions remotely. Uh, You can send us a story idea and then we'll call you and figure that all out. We still give them to our favorite artists and songwriters and bands who then write and record original music. Back in March, we asked you guys to tell us how you were doing during the quarantine, pandemic, life, how you were coping, what was going on, and uh, we chose what we thought were the most compelling stories, and here we are. I'm sitting here with Mr. I can't wait to see what comes next. Himself. Tell him, tell him your name. Oh, hey, Walker. I'm Zach. And uh, what's your last name for everyone else who just can't wait? Catanzaro. You can continue waiting. And Zach Catanzaro, who is our artist? We've got the incredible Cam Franklin of The Suffers. That's right, Cam Franklin, born and raised in Houston, Texas. Cam is most well-known for her work with The Suffers. Self-described as Gulf Coast Soul, The Suffers combine elements of classic and modern R&B with hints of Cajun, Tejano, Cumbia, and rock and roll. So basically, they are Houston in musical form. You might know them from appearances on very popular shows like The Daily Show, The Late Show with David Letterman, NPR's Tiny Desk Concert Series, Jimmy Kimmel Live, or any fucking festival in North America for the past five years. Cam also releases music on her own. My favorite thing she's put out is New Metals. It was an EP of new metal songs done in completely different style. Like all my eighth grade favorites. Uh, me sixth grade. Yeah. You eighth grade, but I, a lot of angst. So much angst, but she makes it all like sexy and cool. Her version of Change in the House of Lies by the Deftones gives the original a run for its money in my book. Damn, that's saying a lot. Outside of being an amazing musical talent, Cam has actively worked throughout her career to lift black voices and call out racism and sexism in the music industry. I highly recommend you Google her name to read some of her extended interviews, op-eds, and testimonials she's done over the years, um, or just follow her on Twitter because she blows that shit up. Originally, uh, we were going to do an episode in front of a live audience with Cam during South by Southwest. She was going to come in and uh, and write and record a song at Public Hi-Fi with Jim, and we were going to play on it, and then we were going to do it in front of an audience. For the first time. It was our first, first live podcasting experience. We were so pumped about it. But obviously, South by got canceled, so when Cam agreed to, to be part of our love and quarantine season, um, we were super stoked that we got to keep working with her. We sent her a different confession, uh, one of your stories from life during the pandemic. Zach, what can you tell us about this confession? This is our first time airing a confession with two different narrators. One is a French man, while the other is a woman from America. In order to avoid confusion moving forward, they will heretofore be known as Monsieur Brie and Miss Cheddar. Miss Cheddar hails from Texas, while Monsieur Brie hails from Paris. Our confessors hit it off while Monsieur Brie was on tour with the French band Justice here in Austin, Texas. Shortly after, Miss Cheddar visited him in LA where sparks really started to fly. They soon began a whirlwind long distance romance. 
After about a year of dating, they made the decision for Miss Cheddar to move to Paris so they could be together. She was supposed to move in mid-February, but had to delay her plans until March. She landed two days before France's national lockdown. We caught up with Monsieur Brie and Miss Cheddar at their apartment in Paris back in early April. What were you doing a year ago today? One month, are we? April? April. Uh, he had just returned back to France after us meeting in New York and then going back to Austin together. So yeah. you guys, you met in New York as like a vacation? I was working there, but, but we stayed like longer. I just had like one, one gig, but they were like keeping me there for a week. But uh, we stayed there a little bit more just mm -hmm. to like for vacation and enjoy each other. And then we, we came back together to, to Austin. Yeah. Spend a little bit of time together. Take me through a typical day. Okay. Under quarantine. We wake up usually around 11.30 these days. And we usually wake up around the same time. Who's making coffee this morning? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> it depends. I feel like we do pretty good at trading off. Like one person makes coffee one day, the next person makes coffee the next day, and sort of that person also maybe like gets a little breakfast together. We used to be very, at the beginning of this, we did very extravagant breakfasts. You know, you've got like a fruit salad, like hash browns, eggs, bread, all this stuff. And these days I think we're, we've gotten kind of lazy. So it's like toast and coffee or like yeah. a banana. Um, yeah. And then... <laughs> then we, we sit at our desk. Yeah, we share a big desk yeah. by the window in our room. Yeah, so we kind of work on our, our own. projects. Yeah, yeah. each, each uh, on our side. She draw. I, like, right now I'm working on, on my computer on music. Sometimes I draw. We were sewing masks at some point. Um, we stayed there for a while. We kind of try to bother each other sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. what that means. No, I'm just yeah. um. <laughs> Then eventually a lunch, depending on the, the mood. Yeah. Late lunch. See what we have there. If we have to go to the store, then we go to the store. We like make a list, gear up, put on our masks, go to the store. And when we get home from the store, we wash the groceries. Yep. Um, or like take stuff out of the packaging um, if it can. And... Take a little snack from yeah. the, the boulangerie, right? Yeah, that's, I love this about... Uh, France is like people eat bread and cheese and pastries and they don't feel bad about it. Why? Yeah, no guilt. Yeah, why? Because you walk everywhere. So it's like... No, but why would be guilt? Or why would be... I don't know. I've like, there's no like, oh, I ate this. I don't, to me, like being in the US and going into a bakery and buying like a delicious, sweet, you know, yeah, so look strawberry at, tart. 
Look at the, the, it's like shiny the pastry in the, top. in the US. Yeah, it's like full of, like it's a huge pile of cream with sparkles on top. Sprinkles? Sprinkles, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, eat pastry. Maybe have like a ginger lemon tea and uh, make dinner. Watch Sopranos. Watch 90 Days Fiance. Oh, yeah. That's your thing. <laughs> I watched 90 Day Fiance. Oh yeah. That sounds like It's such us. sweet garbage. This is the good stuff though. So you watch 90 Day Fiance like almost every day? Lately, yeah. I can relate to it. It's so interesting because all these people have like similar, are in similar situations, but also not similar. As our relationship, I mean. How so? For someone who's never seen this show, like how is it similar? It's similar because these are people that are dating somebody that is from a different country. So they come from a different culture. Sometimes they don't even speak the same language and they like have to use Google Translate. Sometimes people meet like while on vacation or sometimes people meet while online. And then it's like about the process of them combining their lives together um yeah basically they have 90 days to get married or the the person that doesn't live in the country have to go back home yeah in the u.s oh wow okay so then they so you watch this you you mentioned earlier that you watch the sopranos do you guys usually watch both shows on the same day yeah yes she she watched 90 days during the day sometimes Soprano I'll, like, have it on while I'm doing night. other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Soprano is our, like, night feature. Yeah. yeah. That's, like, we focus when we watch it. We're, like, actually watching it. And you watch, like, two or three episodes or, like... Yeah, two, three. Yeah, two. Yeah. And then some, lately he's been getting on the computer and, like, working on stuff until really late. And I go to bed and get mad at him for not going to bed with me. <laughs> Yeah. Attends. Sorry. Attends, on est en train d'enregistrer un truc. <laughs> tu voulais quoi uh, Ah ben bah, on vous rejoint. Sorry. This was your roommates, <laughs> yeah Yeah. This, how is it going with your roommates We try to work it out. <laughs> yeah. It's I good. mean, yeah. they're I think it's hard for me to express my anxieties because one, I don't speak French, two, I don't really know them very well, so I can't be like, hey, I have OCD and these things are hard. And so there's some things, but I can't control anybody else. I can only control myself and my reactions to things. I think you're saying it really well. (laughs) Okay, there are parties that happen in the back of our building with everybody who lives in our building. And I have a hard time with that. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and your roommates go. Yes. Uh, Okay. Yeah, that's... Everything besides that is great. We had to to add a discussion with this. We talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you can understand why they want to go, though. For yeah, sure, yeah. I, I, I mean, I want to go, too. Exactly. This but, thing also yeah. is like, as I say to Jonah, it's like smoking in front of somebody that stops smoking. Yeah. It's like, we cannot go. We Of course, we want to go down and... and <laughs> And enjoy the barbecue, but, you know. Yeah, when I say parties is a little yeah, it's much. Too... It's a barbecue. And this is yeah. like every weekend? It's a couple times a week. It's been really nice out here. That's like the weather here is absolutely perfect right now. So it's like punishing to be inside. What has, yeah. what has spending this much time together with no distractions forced you to sort of see or deal with? between you two? I don't know. I feel like it's forced us to get to understand one another on a deeper level. And there's no like running away from issues because we're here. So it, you know, sometimes when you get in a fight, it's easy to just, or, you know, have a disagreement you just kind of can walk away from the situation and be like, well, whatever. But I feel like in this situation, we have to sort of see it through. I don't know if you feel the same. Mm -mm. Um, and yeah, like, I definitely feel more understood by him in all of my good parts and bad parts knowing that he does things to make me more comfortable that he wouldn't normally do like i know that that's an act of love and i know that sometimes it's extremely frustrating but he does it just so that i'll feel safe and yeah have you guys like are you guys having sex at all in this scenario is it like pretty normal or what has that been like yeah we have to, to, <laughs> to <describe ourselves. laughs> yeah i yeah the reason i i guess that's like a preface so i talked to another couple or i've talked to a, a few couples actually in this quarantine situation and it's like it is all over the place like i <laughs> has it been would you say it's been like fairly normal or has it been a lot more or a lot less or just you have to because you're so bored i feel like recently it's been do you mind if i Go ahead. okay i feel like recently it's been more than normal and for a while it was less than normal and then for a while it was more than normal so it's like I feel like, you know, it's... We have to miss each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Spend some time in the kitchen, come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty m much more than normal, but it was... <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, we like I'm craving for being able to to have a place and make it our own. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It, it, 
it's really nice to get like a little window into your world. I hope it didn't feel uh, weird for like, you. It's uh, sorry to interrupt. It's like yeah. eight. Like everybody's clapping outside. Maybe you want that? Oh yeah, that'd be great. Oh yeah. Sorry. Every day at eight, the whole city like claps for the health workers. Yeah. Wow. It's like a party out there. Celebrating. Shit, that was incredible. Yeah, it's like the best part of every day. Wow. Hey, Jim, how's it going? Oh, good. How are you? Good. Uh, what have you been up to? Oh, you know, just hanging out. Let's talk about this Cam Franklin track. It's uh, It was made completely remotely. It was. Yeah, I think there's seven or eight people who worked on it. It started with Cam. She sent us a demo that had a drum loop, a bass loop, acoustic guitar that she played, and vocals. You and I found a day that we could work together. We were working simultaneously. Well, then on that day, I know I tracked the drums and the percussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and while you were doing that, I. I did the Juno and the, maybe it's a Mellotron, I'm not sure, but I, I added these two keyboard parts Yep. while you're doing the drums. And then right. I said I was gonna write a bridge because that's what yes. Cam had said. She's like, I think this song needs a bridge. So I wrote some chords for the bridge. I sent you the drums back. That's right. Because, and then I left like eight bars for the bridge and did I sent you, the drums back to you. And did you go like eat dinner or something while after you sent uh, the drums? Maybe. Not sure. That's cool. Yeah, let's say we did. Yeah. Okay, so you ate dinner and mm -hmm. I retracked the acoustic guitar and then you had an idea for the bass part, so Grant Himmler tracked the bass, who was yep. who, who I share a studio space with, but he was doing that. Yeah, and then me and Grant Epley added a keyboard part in the intro and in the second verse I felt like it needed it, so we added that too. And then we sent it back to Cam. Who, yeah. who redid her lead vocal, who added a bunch more harmonies, and who wrote a bridge melody and lyrics. And the coolest thing, I think, is that Cam recorded all these vocals on her iPhone. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing that she did that. They sound great. Cam did say uh, that she had other mics to choose from at her house, but she, oh, she, she did? just preferred the way it sounded. Oh, wow. OK. <laughs> Cool. And then and then I mixed it. And then you mixed it. And yeah. the rest is history. The rest is history. Here's I Can't Wait by Cam Franklin.
I Can't Wait was written by Cam Franklin. This song was worked on by a lot of people, so bear with me, pop an Adderall, get an espresso shot. Okay, the vocals were all performed by Cam Franklin, and she recorded them herself at home. Jim Eno produced and mixed the song, as well as playing drums from Public Hi-Fi. Grant Epley assistant engineered for Jim. He also played some keyboards and was a huge help with Logic and Pro Tools stuff. Uh, me, Walker Phelps Lukens I, I played keyboards and acoustic guitar. Grant Himmler played bass. Adam Mason uh, engineered over here at the castle, which is uh, my little recording setup. And he had some sick reharm ideas on the acoustic guitar. 
And last but not least, this song was mastered by Chris Longwood. Man, I really, really absolutely love this song. It's beautiful. Cam's voice is really powerful. Um, and it's really a unique perspective, specifically about that moment, not about falling in love, not about being in love for 40 years, but that specific moment where you make the commitment forever. I love that the song makes that, that, that making that commitment feel so exciting and joyful. And I think it's really cool that the tempo is so slow Yeah, and it's expressing something so hopeful and exciting. Absolutely. There's no anxiety or anxiousness in it at all. It creates a lot of anticipation that it has such a slow groove to it, um, which I which I think is awesome. We, uh, we talk about uh, taking that risk and more in my interview with Cam Franklin. Interview. 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 All right. So, so who am I speaking with? My name is Cam Franklin. And, uh, and where are you right now? I am in Houston, Texas, at my house, and I, yeah, it, it's nice sun setting. We've been, uh, we've been going back and forth about this, this song and about this project. Well, there was before South By, so we were going to do something in South By, that got canceled. But then we've been talking about this since about mid-April, and by the time people hear this, it's going to be mid-July, and you have been uh, pretty busy. You have not slowed, <laughs> slowed down during the, the the quarantine. Can you just tell people, like, kind of what a normal day or a normal week has been like for you during this quarantine, you know, shutdown period we're going through right now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the first, the first uh, week, which was that week after St. Patrick's Day, I went a little manic um, because all my tours got canceled, all my shows got canceled, and so I knew that I was basically going to have to move over to the live stream format, but I wasn't exactly sure. Uh, my bandmates and I had done one performance uh, as a live stream setup, uh, but we got a little bit of, of flack because, you know, we weren't socially distancing and there were a few of us in uh, the screen and you know I didn't want to be out here basically promoting oh I'm not being uh, sensitive to this this virus and, uh, and the and the folks that might be affected by it over me and so uh, we made some adjustments and so we went over to me doing the show as uh, a solo performer. However, because I was alone and I had no setup, it was basically going to be me with uh, our instrument, our instrumental uh, files singing along. But uh, it just wasn't right. And I kept performing and recording myself and watching myself and it wasn't right. And so uh, I took a few days and decided to turn my bedroom into a music venue and I bought a fog machine and I bought a little light setup that I didn't know anything uh, as far as how to use it and it took me about five days to build up the room the way that I wanted so I collected a bunch of outfits that I had worn over the years on the road that were made of sequin fabric and I created this space called the sequin sanctuary and so uh, after that I did 15 weeks 
of live stream shows from it. I, in addition to that, I <laughs> recorded about ooh, at least a dozen, maybe maybe closer to fourteen or fifteen, uh, just live stream performances in it. I realized, dang, we were going to be in this for a while. So I started learning a lot of instruments that I put off. So I started learning guitar. I started learning piano. I started putting more uh, emphasis into my voice. Um, and then when I realized it was going to be an even longer quarantine, I started focusing on a lot of things that I've been putting off aside from just instrumentation. Okay, uh, a few books, a few essays, a few uh, solo albums, a few solo projects. And so um, when you reached out about this particular project, it kind of just fit the mold of what I was doing already, which was trying to stack up as much content as possible that I felt was not only good content, but uh, content that allowed me to grow as uh, a writer and as a composer without being confined to uh, the traditions that usually would confine me in the industry, which is, you know, you don't usually realize that, hey, you can be the writer, you can be the composer, you can be the lyric writer, you can be all of those things if you want to do the work. And so this process and the last few months have really shown me not only am I capable of doing the work, but I can get better every time I choose to do the work. So um, right now I'm in the middle of just developing a lot of new creative ventures and ways to amplify not only black voices and other uh, marginalized groups, but just young people. You know, I feel like something that really halts a lot of us as artists when we're coming up is that lack of opportunity. And so, you know, even though I still consider myself to be young at 33, um, I feel like had I been given some of the tools that I've received in recent years earlier, it would have been such a cool and uh, amazing advantage. So, you know, I'm just working on music and trying to change the world. That's where yeah. I'm at. <laughs> when you say you've been trying to, to amplify black voices and just help younger artists, like what, what specifically have you been kind of spending your time doing? Well, the main thing I've been doing is listening to them um, and hearing what it is that's holding them back. You know, and I say them because these are my, my friends. And so I've been hearing a lot of this stuff for a while. But as the conversation and the state of things in the world changes, especially here in the United States, where we feel like we're finally being heard more um, as far as like the traumas that we've gone through, the experiences, the the music that we're creating on our own without the help of, you know, white artists. This is, you know, without me diving too deeply into it, a big problem that exists within the music industry that isn't talked about often is that a lot of times when black artists present their material, when it's good enough, uh, sometimes it gets shitted on as if they can't release it unless they have advisement from a white co-writer, especially a white male uh, co-writer. And so something that I've worked really hard on, especially as uh, we've done the work on the last, or excuse me, the upcoming Suffers record, is set goals of not only diversity, but uh, goals that I don't usually see on the albums of artists that I love and respect, not because 
I don't think they're capable of it, but because it's not on people's mind. Diversity, if it's not on your mind, you're not even, you know, realizing that it's something that needs to be happening, that it's it's something that there's a lack thereof. But it's but because it's something that's always been a part of my world and, you know, its lack of visibility, I have worked very hard over the years to make sure that uh, I lead by example. So a big goal that I had for the last Suffers record was I wanted to work with at least three black female songwriters. And I got that done. And I think two of those songs uh, are going to make it on the record, which is amazing and, and fantastic. And had I not you know, sought that out and and asked for it, it wouldn't be a thing right now. And and not just that, but, you know, other artists of color, non-binary artists, trans artists, you know, and the reason why I say that again is because it doesn't naturally happen sometimes. Sometimes because the the system or the hatred has been occurring for so long, you can't... Uh, see the change unless you lead by example. So if I haven't seen that before me, but I have the opportunity to be the first person to do it, then why the hell wouldn't I do it? That That's awesome to hear. I mean, you, you said a lot of, I would love to talk a little more about, but just to start with one, I mean, I think in our uh, our industry, you know, the higher and higher up you get or whatever, however you want to phrase it, it's like there are a lot of gatekeepers and the the vast majority of the ones that I've encountered are are white men. And I'm I'm curious because I've watched you speak against that. Do you feel like like your voice has more power now than it did a few years ago? Like is it less scary for you to speak out? Or does it feel just <laughs> as scary as it always did? Um, I feel like it will never stop being somewhat scary to speak out when no one else is saying those words yet but you know I feel as though I am definitely in a stronger position now than I was uh not only you know five years ago but you know just five months ago you know I have gotten to deal with the consequences of speaking about speaking up about racial injustice in the music industry, as well as uh, sexism for, for so long that, you know, it's just become a part of my brand is speaking up, speaking up about it. However, I've also got to, to deal with these people that have tried to make it so hard on me from, you know, leaving me off of festival lineups when the numbers were pretty obvious that the invitation should be there. Or, you know, blaming my attitude or my behavior as a reason for, you know, my band not getting uh, opportunities only to find out like, oh, man, you know, Cam, you know, from from people that actually interact with me and work with me, you know, that it's completely the opposite, that, no, I am probably going to be the most punctual person there. I'm probably going to be, you know, the hardest working person there. I'm probably going to ask, hey, are you doing okay? Even, you know, though my shit's on fire. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just the type of person I am. And I've had to learn that being strong is going to, you know, make some people uncomfortable. Being honest 
is going to make some people uncomfortable. That doesn't mean that, oh, because people have come from a place of, of, of wrongness or, or uh, a background that is different from mine that I'm just going to lead with, I'm right, you're wrong, whatever. No, I believe in uh, teamwork. I believe in congregation. I believe in collaboration. However, we can't be successful if you don't respect me. We can't be successful if you if you can't listen to me, and we really can't be respectful if you know your minds are if your mind is more centered on you know having a, a romantic intention with me rather than filling you know fulfilling our our project. And so um, it's been something that I've had to learn the hard way over the years, but it it gets easier. <laughs> that's that's for sure, um, but. You know, I always have people messaging me, calling me, texting me, saying thank you after I say something. You know, man, that, that article made me feel like I wasn't the only one. Or, man, someone someone said this about me at this. Or, someone did this to me at this. Or, man, I, I've had someone call me by the wrong name a bunch of times. You know, it's just, it's exhausting and it's sad and it's frustrating because you you feel like man it keeps happening man i'm speaking up i'm doing everything i'm supposed to be doing why is this still happening to me to me but you know i have to l look back and reference the folks that were oppressed before me long before me and you know try to look at their example and lead with that light and know like okay if i if i am true to myself and i'm honest and i'm kind to people but I stick up for other artists that might not be able to speak up for themselves. That doesn't make me uh, an enemy. That doesn't make me an evil person. That makes me a leader. And, you know, these people, a lot of them have skated by and had opportunities handed to them that when a real leader shows up, it fucking knocks them off their ass and they don't know what to do. So <laughs> here, here we are. Yeah. The, the thing I've always thought was really effortless and awesome about uh, about the stuff you've done with the suffers is that it really naturally rides the line between you know some some conventional uh, definition of soul music but then also like modern R&B and then like reggae and even Tejano influences like it sits naturally between a bunch of genres which is I think the, why there's so many ways in for people with with the music that you guys make together, Thank which you. I think is awesome. And I think one of the things that's fascinating to me, and, and one time, a few years ago, you and I were both in Nashville at the same time during the Americana Awards. And what's fascinating to me about these, this idea of Americana is it just seems so, like a lot of people take it to mean like traditional and smarter than what is mainstream and it's like, it's, it's kind of elitist. That's the way people mean it, it seems to me. Which I find to be fascinating, because that's not really the musicians who feel that way, but that's sort of the, the, this larger perception of whatever the hell Americana is. It's like this traditional definitions of these genres. I don't know. I think it's... No, I mean, you, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head, but it's that word tradition is what makes everything so fuzzy. You know, yeah. when a lot of folks think of the traditional Santa Claus, it's a it's a fat white dude with rosy cheeks. Yeah. You know, and 
(laughs) I mean, that's what it is. And so when you talk about traditional Americana and you think about what people think about, most people are going to be honest because Americana music is only presented one way. And that, you know, it's, it's great, you know, when they take the time to highlight a Mavis or uh, a Rhiannon Giddens or um, the McCrary sisters, but it's like, we need to see more opportunity, more of it. And, you know, if your first thought is, but well, the war and treaty were there. The war and treaty were also the only two new generation, you know, black Americana artists before they decided to get behind Yola. Great. Yeah. Two. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Congratulations. And, you know, the year that I saw you, that was the year, I think, where I got called Yola 35 times. And so it's, and that was, what, two years ago? So it's, it's, it drove me angry and made me so frustrated, not because, oh, they were confusing me, but because when I would correct them, they would talk to me as if I was the, the dummy, like, as if I was wrong. Like, no, you don't have to pretend. We know you're Yola. Like, no, you're a racist. Yeah, exactly. You're a racist. My name is Cam. I I had to, like, really take a step back from not only the Americana industry after that particular year at Americana Fest, but just the entire music industry as a whole. Because I had to call bullshit. You know, the artist spends so much time so much time being expected to make this amazing art, being expected to look a certain way, being ex- expected to put on a certain level of show with no budget behind them. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you have all of these industry executives who are, what, almost 90% white yeah. trying to tell me about my blackness? No, Walker, it's not going to fucking happen. You know, when we released our last record, we had to deal with a lot of that. You know what was absolutely insane to me? That the black press gave our record, Everything Here, glowing reviews, right? Whatever, cool, amazing. This was the first time we really got covered like that uh, in the black press and black media, and I was amazed and uh, appreciative and so grateful. Um, But a lot of the white press, especially in the Americana world, decided it would be a perfect opportunity to talk about how our new uh, neo-soul music, uh, which they referred to as a trend, uh, a lot of them got upset because we had rappers on the record and they were mentioned in the press release, but there was no rapping on my record, which, right. to- which yeah. told me that a lot of these people aren't listening to these records. They're reading a press review, they're copying a press release and then that's it that's the that's the expectation of journalism and it it's worth pointing out too that most music journalism is done by white men it is worth of course pointing this out because of course. I, I think that that's something that if i understand you correctly is that there's this expectation of black artists to or it, with the suffers i mean i know that with your music defining it as gulf coastal or whatever they mm-hmm. have this incredibly specific expectation of the kind of music you're going to make. And in this Mer- Americana world, it doesn't even register to these people writing it how, how racist it is to have those aesthetic expectations, right? Like, yeah. 
It, and and I always think about this too. On on the flip side, when you do find um, black artists who do want to work in a more traditional aesthetic, it's like they get an incredible amount of uh, it, they get a different kind of racism too, where uh, a different version of it, right? Where it's like that's the only thing they can be. I don't know. I I, I just no, imagine you are you are you are correct. The pigeonholing is the pigeonholing. That's insane. A perfect term for it. it is absolutely insane. If I change my hair, Walker, I get to listen to someone's opinion on it, which is fine. That's normal. You know, I'm in the public eye, but, you know, I didn't hear any of this shit when Robert Ellis cut his hair, you know, (laughs) I didn't hear any of this shit when Matthew Logan Vasquez cut his hair. God forbid one of the deer tick guys gets a fucking haircut. So if I want to wear my fucking wigs, I'm going to wear my fucking wigs at the Ryman. Because I want to look however I want to look because that's what a free bitch can do. So that's yeah. that's that's just the most bare minimum of what, you know, we get to deal with. It, you know, it's endless comparisons to, to my black counterparts, which sometimes are the only black people that they know. So it's going to be, you know, uh, you know, Alabama shakes or... Uh, Sharon Jones and it's like that's great and I love being compared to these women that I respect and love so much but it's like if y'all aren't going to listen to the record don't write about it like and I don't mean just my record don't write about anybody's record give that opportunity to someone that actually wants to write about music because journalism is an art too you know (laughs) it's it's become a business but it was once an art and it makes me so sad when I see how limited things are and how the music industry is basically being controlled by folks that aren't really that tapped in, you know, that aren't really that deep into the culture. If you don't actually love and appreciate the culture, why are you writing about it? Yeah, right. Um, okay, so so I got I to gotta ask you a couple of things about this, this confession. So in your own words, what was this confession about? The one you wrote a song for, what was it about? Uh... This was a song about risk and uh, not we're not talking about that long ass game that people like to play in the 80s. We're talking about <laughs> that that L-O-V-E risk. And this is one of my favorite topics to talk about because I feel like every time I fall in love, it's like going to the casino. And, you know, I'm listening to this couple talk about, you know, how how easy and how quick it was for them to fall in love and you know how how that 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 attraction that connection like you know that that was the easy part but you know you you add in the distance you add in the language barriers you add in uh covid (laughs) and you know then you have that final decision of uh are we gonna do this together or are you going back home yeah and you know I've I've been in this situation before, minus the COVID part, and, and um, you know it it was a fun time to reminisce on uh, th- that era of my life where I had to basically decide, hey, uh, are we gonna try this thing out or are you just gonna be my little French rendezvous? <laughs> so. Uh, you know, after listening to their story a little bit more in depth, just a, 
about how connected they were and how they they seemed very comfortable. You know, like I like the vibe I got was that you know they enjoy kicking it together and that you know that was like all they had to do until the end of the pandemic or like you know the end of time. They're they're cool with that. So you know, I I loved this idea of writing from the perspective of like they already know like we already know that we end up together. We already know that, like, you're the one. So, you know, this was, like, a, this was more so just a song about just the anticipation of of knowing that that's the yeah. one. You know, I haven't been lucky enough to find my final person. However, you know, I've been in, in love and that, that real good love. And because I've been in that real good love... I know that feeling and where you're constantly wondering, like, damn, like, is it going to get better than this? Wait, it gets better than this? And, 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 and where it's constantly, you know, just up, 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 up. And so in my mind, I imagine that finding that, that final person is, is where it goes up, 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 even when you're having the bad times, you know. All right, you pissed me off today, but ooh, thank goodness I know we're going to have fun, you know, five minutes from now. Or I know you're going to make me laugh, like, later today. And so, yeah, that, that, that's the perspective. You know, the thing I loved about that confession, uh, obviously the, the moment where they're like, oh, shit, do you want to hear everyone cheering out their window? Like, that was a really special moment. But I loved just in this in that that phase that they're in right we're like they've gotten through the ooh la la we just yeah. met each other thing is that they're going through that that like real hard getting to know each other thing i mean i mean hard and like you're just super vulnerable and that they're going through it with each other and they're fucking locked in an apartment like yep. <laughs> they're, yep. they're not getting drunk at a bar with their friends occasionally they're not going to work separately each day it's like they're just in this together and they're watching the sopranos and they're cooking meals and they're yelling at their roommates for making them feel unsafe and it's like it's just such a small in like super interior small reality that they're dealing with right now and i got a joy from them like when i was talking to them i was like these people seem very joyful and very like excited to be with each other and i think yes you captured that in your song like really well, which is like, thank you. it was awesome. To, it, it was like a really hopeful, a hopeful story, you know? Yes. Uh, I hope that it all works out for them. And I hope that the song gets to be a song that they enjoy. Hopefully they get to play it at their wedding. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So I have, I should just tell you this now, but I finally proposed to Mackenzie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yay. And I, and I have to tell you that that oh you know, lucky a, you yeah definitely <laughs> I'm I'm the the lucky I'm so lucky um, but I had the ring and I've been trying to figure out when to do it and honestly a big thing that really set me over the edge was working on your song and tracking all those keyboards and literally just hearing you fucking sing life is so short like over oh and over <laughs> and over and and. and and really, like, I don't know. I mean, you know how working on music is, right? Like, you just listen to the same thing 25 times as you're tracking, oh, yeah. like, a part, you know? And it was oh, like, yeah. <laughs> you're just, like, lodged in my, like, your, your voice was just, like, lodged in my head. 
And oh, I was just wow. And, like, you know, it was like we were going to see her family very shortly. I was like, I got to fucking do this, man. You know? And I was just thinking about the the song and, and, and the confession and just, like, Oh, yeah. I love it, that. It, it like it really, it really. T- I'm being totally honest. Like it like tipped me over the edge, and I was like tracking that fucking keyboard, and I was getting teary eyed, and I was like, "Oh my god, man!" I'm like, <laughs> oh, I love that. That makes me so happy. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank you. Well, hey, thank you so much for making time for this. And uh, of course, yeah. I think this is such a great idea. I'm just so happy this like didn't didn't go I mean a lot of people you know backed out I was so happy that you stuck with it and this is awesome to work on music with you and I hope we get to do it again but congratulations thank you everybody here at Song Confessional is very excited and very happy for you thank you I think uh, you of all people uh, probably know our relationship better than anyone since you've traveled with both of us since day zero since day zero, since negative, negative, uh, I can't do that math, yeah. quickly, but <laughs> we, we were in a band together, uh, the three of us, before me and McKenzie dated. So Zach has been around for a long time. And probably have spent more time with you guys than literally any third human. I can't cry anymore, so please just stop <laughs> down this. I don't want to go down this road anymore. Uh, but I think that you're right. Yeah. You're, that is absolutely correct. You know, one thing I have noticed uh, during the quarantine pandemic um, is I'm interacting with a lot less people than I usually do mm-hmm. and having a lot less conversations than I usually do. And, you know, um, I'm pretty pretty manic person, so I'm always running around doing stuff uh, in, in normal times. But in these times, I've noticed that conversations I have uh, really resonate with me for a lot longer yeah, they, they almost, every word has a little bit more importance. I think so. I think I'm maybe um, taking them in more mm-hmm. than I normally would. Uh, and I think that's a big reason why um, working on Cam's song or her lyrics really like got in my head. It's like, because, you know, she is my friend, mm-hmm. but it's just hearing her singing it and hearing her singing it and thinking about, you know, where she was when she was writing it and everything that's going on in the world and everything that is going on for the two confessors in their world, you know, it just hit me more. Yeah, that, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I I feel like I pulled some of that out of your interview with Cam, too, and I, I wasn't even the one talking to her, but something she said that really struck a strong note with me um, is about diversity and the fact that you you have to keep it at the front of your mind. It, you have to be thinking about it all the time. It doesn't happen naturally. Our, this project is a perfect example of, of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, from day one, before we ever did our first South by event in 2018, it's like we've always talked about wanting to work with uh, a diverse range of artists, not just stylistically, but also... Backgrounds, colors, genders, what whatever. We, we want to include as many people as possible to get a, a you know, a true story of what this country is. And, and, yes, and a big part of... Of I think what that came from also was being on the rise in the music industry and our experience was sharing stages with predominantly white artists mm-hmm. that frankly we found boring. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Very true. And so so that was that was where we started from. And 
we got to the end of season one of the podcast and we realized that all nine artists were white we focused so much on including women we felt really proud of that and we just completely skipped over one of our other you know main priorities that we we truly did talk about a lot yeah and i mean that is what systemic racism is right there it it is and, and i think the reason i think we have a good cogent easy example is that we we were talking about it we are part of a large organization which is KETX which is our whole team all these people no one ever pointed this out either mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing about whiteness is you can always retreat into it. Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to default. You, you know, the, you're surrounded by it. And that's why Cam, Cam, what Cam said is so important to remember is like you have to make it a priority. You have to keep it at the forefront of your mind. Because if you're white, otherwise you can retreat into that whiteness that you've... Yeah, and, and especially to hear Cam say it, who's a powerful female black voice of her generation and even for her to hear her say it was hard it's just like holy shit i mean yeah it it just goes to show how how much work it really takes and how you have to be doing that work and thinking about that work every single second the song confessional podcast is produced by me walker lukens you zach catanzaro Jim Eno, Aaron Blackerby, Rylan Kettery, and Mike Lee. It is distributed by KUTX. Our brand spanking new theme song, Love and Quarantine, parentheses, Cupid's Theme, was written and mixed by Walker Lukens, performed by Walker Lukens, myself, Zach Catanzaro, Mackenzie Griffin, and Aaron Blackerby with engineering from Grant Epley. Uh... I Can't Wait by Cam Franklin can be downloaded, listened to, streamed, purchased, anywhere you like music. If you're a Spotify or Apple Music person, it really helps so much to save it to your library. If you like the Song Confessional podcast, the absolute best thing you can do is tell a friend, tell your mom, tell your dad. Uh, If you want to do more, you could like, rate, review this podcast on iTunes, uh, Spotify, and Deezer. Yeah, Napster, LimeWire, Ditcher, Kazaa. And last but not least, a big thank you to all of you who submitted confessions. Uh, We're going to keep doing it, and we would love it if you keep sending us stuff. Thank you for making this even possible. It was was just as likely that it would have died during the pandemic. So thank you so much, and thank you to Cam Franklin. Black Lives Matter.